Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. 1 Thessalonians, and let's look at chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. On Sundays, the last two Sundays, I've been talking about knowing God's will and hearing God's voice. And I mentioned the fact that there are some things we don't have to pray about in terms of trying to determine the will of God. We don't have to pray about God's will in certain areas because the Bible is real clear on his will. And one of the things that I mentioned that is the will of God is found here in the third verse. So for this is the will of God your sanctification. And uh, I just made a, a, a brief reference to that on uh, Sunday before last, and then I think again this Sunday. Uh, didn't go into a lot of detail about it. This is the will of God. You know, it's the will of God that we lived sanctif- live sanctified lives. The problem is not a lot of people understand what sanctification is. We have a kind of a general concept of what it is. We know that that sanctification is akin to holiness. It has to do with how we conduct ourselves and how we live uh, a life that's pleasing to God. And we, we all sort of know that, but when it comes to how sanctification is worked out in our life, sanctification is a process, and it doesn't proceed on its own. It's a process, but it's not an automatic process. It's a process that has... Uh, two components and uh, in terms of, of uh, the power behind it and one is from God and the other one is from us. Well, God is not uh, slack concerning his part, but sometimes we're slack concerning our part. And so I wanna get into this subject of sanctification tonight. It's a, sanctification is a very important uh, uh, principle. It's a very important part of our of our redemption, of our, of our spiritual life and our walk with God. It's a very uh, important theological uh, truth. If you ever have studied uh, systematic theology, you know, you go through all of the different doctrines of, of theology and uh, you come down to the doctrine of, doctrine of salvation and usually included in the doctrine of salvation are subjects like justification, sanctification, uh, uh, assurance, all those different uh, components. And, uh, and like I said, a lot of people generally know what it is, but how to affect it. We know God's part, he's always, he's always doing his part, but what are we doing and how do we do it? And what, what constitutes the sanctified life? The sanctified life is not living by a code of rules, do's and don'ts. Living by a code of do's and don'ts and attempting to be right with God or, or to... Uh, Assure yourself of your acceptance before God by a system of, of do's and don'ts is, uh, is akin to the law. Now, you might not be looking at that as a way unto salvation, but a lot of times people fall into the trap of trying to approve themselves unto God by, merely by their conduct. And God is interested in our conduct, but this, this, this thing of sanctification is a lot bigger than that. 
And so we're going to look into that tonight. And uh, uh, I want you to go, first of all, over to Leviticus, Leviticus 27. Now, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures real real quick and not uh, they don't bear a lot of explanation. So we're not going to spend time on them, but I just want us to look at them. And while you're turning to Leviticus, did I tell you where? Leviticus 27, that would help to find out where in Leviticus, wouldn't it? Leviticus 27, we're going to look at verse number 14. Uh, There are two basic meanings in the Bible for the word sanctification or sanctify. Two different meanings. And there's a primary meaning and then there's a secondary meaning. And they're related, but there's a whole lot more emphasis where, where, uh, where our daily lives are concerned in this secondary Meaning, the primary meaning of the word uh, sanctify or sanctification. Sanctification means a dedication, a consecration, or a setting apart for some specific and holy use. I'll say that again. A dedication, a consecration, or, or a setting apart for God for some specific and holy use. There were a lot of things in the Old Testament that were sanctified. Here in verse 14, it says, when a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, and as the priest values it, and so shall it stand. As a man dedicates, this word dedicates is, uh, is the word that's usually translated sanctify. In, in, in the margin of my Bible, it says set apart. So inanimate objects can be set apart for the Lord. And that is the idea behind sanctification. Go over to, uh, you're there in, in uh, chapter 27, look at verse 16. It, if, a, if a man dedicates or sanctifies to the Lord part of a field of his possession, then your valuation shall be according to the seed for it. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. So here we see even a field, just something. So there isn't any, any, uh, uh, There's no concept of holiness in the field. There's no concept of of innate holiness in the house. It simply means that it had been dedicated to the Lord and in that sense it was sanctified to the Lord. Uh, Go to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles and go to the 29th chapter. 2 Chronicles 29 and let's look at verse number... 19, moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign has had cast aside in his transgressions, we have prepared and sanctified. And there they are before the altar of the Lord. Here the people brought the vessels of the temple, all of the gold uh, vessels and utensils that were used in the, in the Levitical worship in the temple uh, Ahaz, it, uh, it says here, King Ahaz had cast aside during his time of transgression, the people brought and they re-sanctified. They started out as being sanctified and then they sanctified them to the Lord again. So the, the, the primary meaning of the word sanctification is something that is set apart or consecrated uh, uh, for 
uh, set apart from a natural use and set apart unto God, separated from a natural use and set apart unto God for his pleasure. And primarily it has to do with worship. These things were set apart for the worship of God. And uh, these things were considered, were considered holy in the sense that they were set apart, but there was no, there was no innate holiness because they were just vessels. They, they didn't have a moral value, but they were considered holy because they had been consecrated to the Lord. You might remember in, in Daniel, you know, uh, there, were, there were two kings that, that uh, had very prominent places in the book of Daniel. One was Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a great kingdom. God gave him a great kingdom. And he was ruling and reigning he was like, like no one in the world ever had. But he got lifted up in pride. And so when he was lifted up in pride, uh, he lost all of that. And he actually, for a season, became completely crazy. And he ended up uh, acting like a wild animal. They actually kept him outside and they fed him grain and grass. And he slept out and the Bible says the dew of heaven was on him. I mean, he was stark raving crazy. When he came back to his senses, he realized that he had been lifted up in pride. He humbled himself to the Lord again. Well, after him, he had a son named uh, Belshazzar. And Belshazzar even did worse than, than uh, Nebuchadnezzar had done. And he began to worship all of these idols and false gods. And at one point, he brought all of the, of the uh, utensils that, that had been taken captive when the children of Israel were taken into Babylonian captivity. All of the gold and uh, 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 utensils and bowls and all of those things, you know, and uh, lampstands, all of that stuff in the, in the temple had been taken captive and they brought them to, to, uh, to Babylon. And so while... Belshazzar one night had all of his, says he, he was there with all of his company. He had his wives and his concubines. That means his whores, okay? They were all there with him. And so he decided that he would have this wild party and he called for, for them to bring all of those golden bowls and cups and, and, and all of those things to drink. And they drank wine in worship to, to false gods, and they, that was really a mockery of God because these things had been set apart. And when something is set apart unto God, God doesn't forget it. It might only be an inanimate object, but when it's been set apart, it has been made holy or set apart for God's purpose. And, and you can't get away with that. That's why Christians can't live just any way they want to and get away with it. But you know the story, Belshazzar, you know, he had this wild party and had all of these people in and they were drinking, you know, wine uh, and, and uh, worshiping false gods and suddenly a hand, fingers of a hand appeared on the wall. Now you have to get that scene. You know, they didn't have LED lighting like we had. And even in the palace, you know, it was, it was, it was lit by lamps, oil burning lamps. And so, you know, they flicker and the flickering on the wall. You know, it wasn't brilliantly light like it is if we turned on all the lights in here. It, even in, in its best uh, hour, it would have been a spooky looking place to most of us. And suddenly the fingers of a hand appear on the wall and begin to write on the wall. And Belshazzar saw it. And it said he became so scared that his, that his hips were loosed and, loosed and his knees started knocking together. I mean, he was falling apart. It scared him. 
and it scared everybody. So he called for all of the, the uh, uh, wise men of his kingdom to come in and, and there were, there were uh, uh, you know, like four or five words written on the, on the wall with his hand and it was in a language he didn't know and so he called for the, all the astrologers and wise men and they couldn't interpret it and, and one woman came to him and said, I think it was the queen came and said, uh, you know, there's a man in the kingdom named Daniel and, and he has the spirit of God in him. And you ought to call him because he can, he can give you the interpretation. Daniel came in, gave the interpretation, and it says that, uh, you know, you are weighed in the balance uh, 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 and, and your kingdom is taken from you. And that very night, Belshazzar was, was, was slain. He was murdered that night, and his kingdom uh, went to somebody else. So that just gives you an idea of, of the importance of sanctification in the mind of God. So primarily sanctification is, like I said, a dedication or a consecration or a setting apart uh, from, uh, from a uh, 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 natural, profane, or, or non-spiritual use for God for his holy use. Uh, the firstborn in Israel. Every firstborn child was sanctified to the Lord. They were set apart especially for the Lord. Uh, now, in these instances, uh, there's no moral cleansing implied. In other words, the, the utensils weren't cleansed from sin. They had no sin. The firstborn wasn't cleansed from sin. He didn't have any, he hadn't committed any sin. These were, the, these, the, these were simply separated to the service of the Lord. Well, as that applies to us as Christians, we are chosen vessels. Every one of us are chosen vessels. Go with me over to, uh, might be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but, but it'll still fit. There's gonna be a lot of scriptures we're gonna look at in this study. We're gonna look at multiple times because there's different applications. And, uh, and this might be, be one of them. See, uh, what am I thinking of? I want you to look at uh, first, Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy and look at, hallelujah. Yeah, chapter one, verse number eight and nine says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. I tell you something scratching me here just a minute. Let's go back to that verse, the latter part of verse eight. We, he said we are to share in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. That doesn't mean being run over. That means there will be opposition in this life, but we have the power to confront it. We don't just lay down to the, in front of the devil and let him walk all over us. Yes, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but we overcome it all, glory to God, because we do it in the power of God, in the, in the, in the power of his might. Yeah. Amen? There's victory in persecution. Yeah. Oh, glory to God. Yeah. Hallelujah. And, and persecution is not the will of God. Saul of Tarsus went out breathing threatenings and murder against the church of God and he, and he greatly persecuted the church of God. But that wasn't the will of God. Persecution is not the will of God because it always comes from the enemy. And in the face of it, we have the right to stand strong, stand resolute, glory to God in our authority. 
Amen. Well, praise the Lord. We'll go on to the next verse then. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now, this isn't just talking about preachers. Everybody has a holy calling on their life. All of us do. You were saved and called with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This is almost something that people just say and we nod our heads and agree that everybody has a call and everybody has a purpose. But what are we doing about it? Are we pursuing that purpose? There is a purpose and a grace given to every one of us, and it says it was given to us in union with Christ before time began. Before time began, God had a plan for you. God didn't just see your smiling face and think, oh, there's Diane. I'll have to find something for her. I'll have to find an assignment. No, that's not, that's not true at all. God had a plan and a purpose for Diane before time began. That's even before David came along. <laughs> well, do you, do you think it's important that we find that plan? Do you think it's important that we live according to that plan? Yeah, God planned us and he, and he, and there's a calling upon us. And so it's important that we, that we understand that we have been set apart for God's purpose and for his glory. Jeremiah was sanctified and set apart to be a prophet to the nations. And this, this calling or this sanctification uh, wasn't anything, it wasn't the result of anything he did. And, and again, it said that God set him as a prophet for the nations before he was ever born. So there was a plan for his life. It was a plan for my life before I was ever born. It's a plan for your life. The Bible even talks about Jesus being sanctified. Go with me over to John 10, John the 10th chapter. John 10. And let's look at verse number 36. Jesus is speaking and says, Did, do you say of him, talk, he's speaking about himself, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? Here it says that Jesus was sanctified and sent into the world. Well, again, this couldn't be a cleansing from sin because he never had any sin. It has to do with setting apart for a purpose. And Jesus was set apart and sent into this world for a particular purpose. Uh, but now there's another aspect of this. Go over to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews the 5th chapter. And let's look at 
verse 7 and 8. Talking about Jesus, it says, In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Sanctification isn't just uh, in the context of cleansing of sin. Sanctification has to do with finding our place and yielding and submitting ourselves to the will of God. That's the most important aspect of sanctification. I'll say it again. It's finding our place and submitting to the will of God for our lives. Jesus, as, as the son of God, he didn't have to be sanctified, but as a, as a human being, he had to come to that place of full surrender to the cross. It wasn't an easy thing to do. He had to learn obedience through the things that he suffered. And we have, to, we have to learn obedience and there's some suffering involved in obedience. I can tell you that. It's, a suffer, it's, it's, not, it's not the suffering of sickness and disease. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a suffering of our giving up our own way and our own will. Giving, surrendering control of our lives to the Lord. There's some suffering involved because your flesh will fight you circumstances will definitely fight you. And I've been talking about the fact we don't, we don't live our lives and seek the, the, to know the will of God by circumstances because uh, circumstances will, will, will tell you everything but the right thing. Amen. So there's the first part, the primary meaning of sanctification is a dedication and a consecration. The secondary part has to do with a cleansing and a purging from moral defilement. A purging and a cleansing from moral defilement. And this is a progressive experience. Now, justification, if you can compare it to justification, justification is a one-time event. When you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible said when you were saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, you were justified. That word justified means declared righteous. You were not just declared righteous, you were made righteous. And righteousness is different than holiness. Righteousness is being in a right relationship, right with God, in right standing with God. And when you were born again, you were justified and that was a one-time event and it lasts forever. You don't ever lose your justification unless you lost your salvation. You couldn't lose your justification. It's not a progression. You don't grow in justification. You don't grow in your righteousness. We've been made righteous with his own. It's, it's been imputed to us, but more than just being imputed to us, that sometimes we get the idea, that's a good scriptural word, but sometimes we get the idea that it, we're just counted as righteous. No, we were made righteous. We're in right standing with God. Glory to God. And there's nothing that's going to jeopardize that. That's a one-time event. Sanctification, uh, in this sense, 
is in the sense of being purged from moral defilement is both a one-time event and it's a progression. It's both a one-time event and it's a progression uh, or a process. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews, we're there going to the 10th chapter and look at verse number 10. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Notice, once for all. The good news is we've been sanctified. You've been sanctified. You've not only been declared righteous, you've also been declared holy. You've been sanctified. You've been cleansed. By the, by the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was, that was something that happened at a point in time when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now go back over with me to 1 Thessalonians again. 1 Thessalonians. And look at chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. And look at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Well, now we just read that you were sanctified. You were sanctified, but here the apostle Paul is telling the church at, at uh, he's praying to the, for the church there at Thessalonica. He said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's something that is yet to be done because there is a, there is a process of sanctification. And that's the thing we need to be aware of. Amen. There are two two aspects of this sanctification. First, there's an initial act of sanctification, which is your positional sanctification. You have been sanctified and brought into a sanctified relationship with God. That's the initial thing. The second part of the second aspect has to do with a process of sanctification where, and that's called practical sanctification. I, I, I was reading something today and, and I should have written it down. And there was some writer in England years ago and he made the statement that uh, he had been sanctified uh, in his position in Christ. He was sanctified and he was in Glasgow. Is that how you say that? In Glasgow, and somebody, he said, well, I'm sanctified in Christ. And somebody said, yeah, but are you sanctified in Glasgow? In other words, what about your daily life? You know, there, there's another side to this, to this idea of sanctification. Uh, you can see this in a lot of different verses. We're going to look at them tonight. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You brought your Bible tonight, didn't you? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 11. Hallelujah. And such were some of you. Well, what? What's he talking about? He said in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice, and such were some of you. We don't need to look around and point fingers tonight. And such were some of you. 
but you were washed, but you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Oh, glory to God. I, 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 I was some of those things, but I was washed. Oh, glory to God. I was sanctified. And, and that's a good thing to know. That's a good verse of Scripture to, to, to hang your hat on. It's a good verse of Scripture to, to let define your inner consciousness because the devil will try to come to you and bring up all kinds of things about your past. And you can say, yeah, I was. And such was I, but I was washed, but I was sanctified. Glory to God. I was not only justified, but I, I was not only declared righteous, I was declared holy. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of the living God. Oh, hallelujah. That's, that's shouting stuff right there. Amen. Go to second. We were in first Thessalonians. Go to second Thessalonians and look at chapter two. Second Thessalonians chapter two. And let's look at verse number. I'd get out of Timothy. I could get there. There you go. Verse number 13 says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. This is 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for sanctification or for, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief of the truth. See, now I came up in a, in a church culture where sanctification, only one side of sanctification was taught. And, and maybe the other side was taught. You know, sometimes things are taught, but they're not emphasized and you don't get it. So maybe it was taught, but I can tell you what was emphasized. And what was emphasized was getting your act together and your behavior and your conduct. And that's how you got sanctified. And there was, it was in our particular denomination, sanctification was considered a second work of grace and you, you reached a place where you were sanctified. But then I got into the Bible and, and I struggled with that when I came back to the Lord because when I gave my life to the Lord, uh, you know, got back into fellowship. I may have been saved as a child, so I wasn't lost, but, but I was out of fellowship and, uh, and, and going in the direction of trying to, you know, uh, renounced Christ. Thank God uh, he rescued me. But I came back into fellowship with the Lord. Uh, I knew I knew that my sins had been forgiven. I knew that something wonderful had happened on the inside of me. And I immediately got into the word of God. I immediately started reading. I just read the Bible just all the time. Every free minute I was just had my nose in the Bible. And I saw some of these things pretty quickly that I had been justified. And I remember my, one of my pastors or maybe more than one growing up and, and this pastor said the word justify, you can say it like this, it means just as if I'd never sinned. And, uh, and that's what justification is. It puts you in right standing as though sin had never existed. Well, I got a hold of that. Oh, glory to God, that set me free. But I still had some hangups. I still had some issues. We call them issues. They're really sins. <laughs> I had some areas where, where, where I wasn't fully consecrated. Now, now, in Christ, I had been sanctified and set apart for God, but my daily conduct didn't always look like it. And I'm not talking about 
your outward appearance. I'm talking about your, the way you live and what you reflect. There were, some, there were some areas that I still had to clean up and it was because I didn't know what had happened to me. I didn't have understanding of it. And the more I found out about what happened to me when I got back into fellowship with the Lord, the more I found out about what had happened to me when I got saved as a kid. It had happened to me way back then and I had never walked in it. But when I, when I found out about it at 20 years old, 21 years old, 22 years old, when I began to find out what had happened to me way back then, oh, glory to God. Those things started changing in my life. That's the process of sanctification. Uh, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 1 says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Notice he said that God chose us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own grace. Before time began, well, Paul was aware of that when he made this statement. He said, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Even when Paul was persecuting the church, even when he was breathing out threatenings and, and threats of murder and imprisoning people and, and, and taking their possessions and, and doing all the things that he did, even during all of that, God had a plan for his life. You wouldn't have been able to see it looking at him. It should always cause us to, to take a step back when we look at other people. Because you might see one thing but what you can't see is the call of God. And there are some people who look anything like they've been called of God. There are people who look anything like they'll ever amount to anything. I look that way. <laughs> oh my goodness, did I look that way. People who knew me now, maybe as a child, there were some older people in the church that might have discerned some things, but I'm talking about when I was, you know, in my teenage years and as a young adult, and I grew up kind of early. I left home when I was 17 years old and, and had a, and a wife and a child on the way and, man, I just, you know, I didn't need anybody and wasn't going to follow anybody's advice. And I went out on my own. I had to grow up, you know, quickly and, uh, but I was so rebellious and so hard-headed. There was nothing you could look at in my life and discern. Well, I just see the plan of God operating in him. You just wouldn't have said that. But all during that time, God had his eyes on me. And during all of your failures and during all of your past and enduring anything you've ever been through or been involved in, God has had his eye on you and his purpose and his calling. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He never changes his mind about you. He'll never change his mind. He'll never alter his plan for you. I don't care what you do. He's never going to change that. He's going to see you in the light of his plan for your life. And his attitude is always, come on, come on, come on. And I tell you what, all, all, of, all, of, 
a, a rebellious, hard-headed, backslidden person or an unsaved person, all they have to do is just slow down for a minute. Just slow down for a minute and take a breath and just be open. Just be open for a minute. I'm telling you what, the grace of God will flow into that person's life. Ooh, glory to God. I mean, I, was, I, I, I wasn't planning on getting right with God. I, got, I started reading the Bible looking for loopholes. It's literally what I was doing. I was trying, got my Bible out in that little motel room in, uh, in Brooksville, Florida, and I was looking for ways to prove that the Bible wasn't true because I knew there were loopholes and there were contradictions. That's what my buddies had been telling me, you know, and unsaved people, they were saying, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. So I got my Bible out, and I'm gonna prove that to be, that to be true. And right while I was pursuing disobeying God, I had my Bible opened. Tragic mistake. <laughs> Big mistake. Because I just, for a moment, just for a moment, put the guard down and said, well, let me just read the scriptures and see if they're true. Oh, boy. I mean, truth. That was all, all God was waiting for was just for a little pause. Just for, would you just shut your trap for a minute, Edwin? Just shut up for a minute and just relax just for a minute. And that's all it took. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. A lot of you can testify the same thing. Amen. Glory to God. Where, where are we at in, in 1 Corinthians 1? Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes, our, brothers, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints. Now I know the margin or, or your text says called to be saints, but you'll know to be is, is an italics there. It's not in the original text. The way, this, the way this actually reads in the Greek, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints. Glory to God. You'll see this same expression if you look up in, in Ephesians. It tells the church there that they're saints. Everybody in the church were called saints. Colossians chapter 1 verse 2 does the same thing. Jude chapter 1 or verse 1 says the same thing. All believers are saints. See, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church has done a great disservice because they've identified certain people uh, who've lived some type of an exemplary life according to somebody or they've had some kind of, uh, uh, of uh, miraculous things or amazing things accredited to them, then they're called saints. And that leaves the idea that some people are saints and some people are holy and the rest of us are dogs. He told the church at Corinth that they were sanctified. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, he said in verse seven, so that you come short in no gift, waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, now there's four words here that are in italics in verse number eight, so you have to mark them through. They don't, they're not in the original Greek. Who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul told the church at Corinth that they were blameless and then he used the rest of the, of the epistle, two epistles to blame them of all kinds of things. He called them saints and then he described everything except a saintly life. Isn't that right? I mean, there was sin in this church. There was trouble in this church. He corrected them because of their, of their flagrant sin, open rebellion, 
carnal attitudes. In fact, he called them carnal. That won't win, that won't win you election to the pul- by the pulpit committee. <laughs> if you're trying out for a church and to see if you know if they'll accept you as the pastor, best thing to do is not go in there the very first Sunday and call them all carnal. Well, you're all carnal, every one of you. That wouldn't that wouldn't carry the day very well. But Paul didn't care because he had he he was determined to tell them the truth. Though they were carnal, he said it though in the context as you're still sanctified. You have still been set apart for God. And there's a plan of God for your life. Oh, glory to God. It's true. It's true. At the moment a person is saved, he becomes a saint. Did you know that? I don't suggest you tell your coworkers. By the way, I found out in church last night that I'm a saint. So you can start calling me Saint Geraldine. Probably wouldn't, wouldn't help you very much. But it's true. I'm looking at saints. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So that's the, that's the positional aspect of our sanctification, but there's a practical side of it. And uh, we've already looked at 2 Thessalonians. Uh, let's go to Colossians, Colossians 3. And let's look at, <laughs> this is very interesting, Colossians 3, talk about mixed messages. Start in verse 1. If, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, the older King James says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Isn't that good news? Glory to God. When he appears we also are going to appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. Therefore, verse number five, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. Now, he's saying that, he's telling the church at Corinth that at one time, they walked and lived in these things he just described, but he's still, but he's still telling them to put off all these things. He said, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you, want, you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, Malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, this must have been a really wonderful church because he's telling them all these things that they've got to stop doing. Well, praise the Lord. I've been pastoring a long time. And I uh, discovered a long time 
that uh, when I pat somebody on the back, those aren't angel wings that I'm feeling. Just about anything you can see in the world, you can see in the church. He said, notice verse 10, you have put on the new man, which is is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. He said, you have put on the new man, but you still have to put off all these other things. He told us, he, he said, to, he, he told us, not just to the church at Corinth, but the church in High Springs. He told us that we have put on the new man. When you were born again, you put on the new man. You, the, your, your inward man was made a new creation in Christ and you put that on. And I'm gonna tell you, when it happened, you knew it. You knew it. You might have still had some things that weren't pleasing to the Lord, but you know something happened to you. you there was a new man came, come to live in that house. All the difference in the world, you could tell it. Nobody else might have been able to tell it, but you, you knew the difference. He said, you have put off the old man who is renewed, you, or excuse me, you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. When God created you, when God created Adam and Eve in the beginning, he created them in his image and in his likeness. And they fell from that. In the new birth, we're brought back to that. And we're, when you were born again, you were created in the image of God. Glory to God. And you put that on. I mean, that, that's what you did by faith. You took that for yourself and you put it on. But that doesn't mean that you don't have some other things to put off. He said, you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth and stop lying to one another. Since you have put off the old man, you've put off the old man with his deeds but you're still having to put off some of his clothes and some of his things. So you, do you see here, he's saying you've put these things off but you still have to put them off. You've put on the new man but you still got to put him on. There, there, is a, there is a positional truth but there is a practical truth, living that out. Now, lest you think sanctification is strictly a negative proposition, it isn't. A man is not considered holy because of what he does not do. Now, I grew up in a, in a, in a church that we had a long list of things we weren't allowed to do. And we... When I say we collectively, this is just, you know, I was just a kid. And then by the time I was a teenager, I was rebellious and I wasn't listening. So, you know, I, I, granted, I got some things, you know, uh, came to me kind of colored because of, of my lack of understanding or my rebellion. But I can tell you, growing up, I had the idea that holiness and sanctification was not going to dances, not going to pool halls. That's what they called them back then, pool halls, pool halls, dark dives. We didn't go to movie theaters. Now, you know, when, when our particular denomination was formulating all of these rules and regulations, movie theaters were dark dives. They were, they were, they were not like today. They weren't nice. And so that was considered worldly entertainment. So we didn't dance. We didn't go to movies. 
We didn't go, we didn't even, we didn't even go to ball games. Not even school, like high school. Now, by the time I came along, my, I had worn my mother down and, uh, and I got away with some things. But my brother and sister, I don't know about my older brother. He might've might slipped out a couple of times, but my sister never went to a school ball game at all. Junior high, high school, never went to one because that was considered worldly entertainment. We didn't go there. We didn't go to dances. We didn't go to ball games. We didn't even go to pool. I mean, I said pool halls. We didn't, we didn't do that. We didn't even go to bowling alleys because that was considered a worldly place because they drank beer in bowling alleys, you know, and so we couldn't go there. And we, uh, we, we couldn't forget some of the things we could. We just couldn't do anything. We couldn't do anything. So when we started dating, there was no place we could go, so we ended up in a parked car. Because we couldn't go to a dance. You couldn't go bowling. Isn't that right? You couldn't, you couldn't do anything, so you had, to, you had to do something. My wife is going to shoot me. <laughs> really wasn't talking about myself. I was talking about our generation. We, uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't do anything that resembled worldliness. We couldn't go to the beach, not with other people. We couldn't go to any of the, to the public swimming holes because people weren't dressed very nice. And you couldn't go there. I remember as a teenager, the, the doctrine said that the church was, was uh, against mixed bathing. In other words, going to the beach or the place where other people other than your family. Now, we, I remember my, my parents, one time we went to almost to the beach. In Jacksonville, Florida, there's a beach called Talbot Island. There's a state park called Talbot Island on the north end of Jacksonville on the ocean. And the St. John's River flows into the, into the ocean there. And we go out Hexer Drive. Hexer Drive followed the river from the north side of Jacksonville, from Trout River, all the way out to, to St. John's River, all the way to the ocean. And I remember, this happened more than once, but I remember a couple of times, our dad put us in the car, and we had one of these little Scotty, little checkered uh, coolers. Do you remember those? I think they were called Scotty. They looked like, like Scottish, you know, red and black and green, you know. Had a little cooler and a little... Uh, uh, you know, a stove, you know, charcoal cooker. And we made it almost to the river. I mean, almost to the beach. We pulled out off of Hexer Drive, a little turnout there in the grass. And there was a little beachy area there by the, by the river. And that's, that was our going to the beach. We couldn't go all the way to the real beach. So, you know, when I was a teenager, we had started asserting ourselves. And, uh, and I remember somebody, some, one of the teenagers said to his parents, we're not, we're not mixed bathing. We didn't carry any soap. <laughs> Just went to the beach. Well, praise the Lord. We couldn't do anything. And I thought, I thought that's what living for God was. You couldn't do anything. Couldn't, we couldn't, when, when uh, and I was in junior high and they had square dancing, you know, boys and girls, they put together and we could, I couldn't square dance because I was a holiness. So I had to get a letter from my pastor 
saying, exempting me from square dancing. That made for a real popularity as a junior high kid. What I'm saying is holiness is not uh, what you don't do. Sanctification is not, a man is not considered holy because of what he doesn't do. Instead, sanctification is a positive proposition. It's increasingly conforming to the image of Christ. That's what sanctification is. Growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and, and learning to fully submit yourself to the plan of God for your life. That's sanctification. It isn't about what you do or don't do, but I'm gonna tell you, if you're fully sanctified and if you're moving in, in, the, in the progression of sanctification, there are a lot of things you aren't gonna do that this world does. You're not gonna do them. You can't do them with a clean conscience. But the most important thing is surrendering your life to his plan for you, to actually want to please God. I'm telling you, uh, there's a big step. You take a big step forward, a big step, when you just decide to, to please God, when you, when you develop the desire on the inside of you. And it's there if you'll, if you'll stoke it, if you'll encourage it. There's a desire on the inside of all of us to please God. If we'll start feeding that desire and acting on that, instead of going our own way, insisting on running your own life. I'm not gonna have anybody tell me what to do. I have plans and I'm gonna fulfill my plans. I only have one shot in this life and I don't get to, to, to get any time back so I'm gonna make the most of what I wanna do. I'm gonna tell you that is a terribly uh, dangerous thing. It's full of heartbreak. It's full of heartbreak. There's no good fruit in that. Sanctification ultimately is coming to God and saying, Lord, I surrender to you. I want what you want. I might not understand it. I might not, I might not even agree with it. But if you'll teach me, if you'll show me, I'll surrender myself to your will. And that's what sanctification is. We'll talk about this a little bit more maybe next time. Because there are some, there are some, uh, ways to appropriate sanctification in your life. There's ways for it to work. And if, you'll, if you will discover how to pursue sanctification, you'll find that it is a wonderfully uh, rewarding experience. It's a, wonderfully, a wonderful walk with God. Going from where you are and stepping progressively into more and more of God's will for your life is a wonderful journey. Oh, it's so full of peace. It's so full of, of reward. It's so full of answers. There's a lot of things that we struggle for in life as Christians and try and try and try and try to lay hold of by our faith. And they always seem to be outside of our grasp. And a lot of times it's because of a lack of consecration. Not, and it's not God holding back. It's that if without, having, without being completely sold out to God, you don't have the faith for the things of God like you should. Oh, glory to God. Sanctification is important. And we're going we're gonna to learn more about it. Amen. 
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.